If you're willing, I would like for you to take a little journey with me, okay? We're going to just pretend that we're going somewhere, okay? So I want you to just uh, think in your mind. You can close your eyes if that helps. You don't have to close your eyes, but you can just think about if we were to go to Florida, what would that be like, okay? If you were going to Florida, if you were in Florida, what, what would it be like to be there in Florida, now, maybe, maybe for you, you're thinking, okay, what's it, what do I know about Florida? Uh, and maybe you've been to Florida before, so you know something about Florida. I haven't, so I'm just imagining, okay? I'm imagining, what if I was at Daytona? What if I was at Daytona for the Daytona 500? What, what would that be like? What would the atmosphere be like there? What would I expect the culture to be like? What are the people like there? How would that be different if instead of going to Daytona, we went to Orlando instead and we went into Disney World? Then, then what is it like? Then what is the culture like there? What, what's your expectation? What are things like if you go into Disney World? How, how would you experience that? If you've been there before, maybe, maybe memories are coming and you're going, oh, I know what that's like. I can see in my mind the types of people that are there and the kinds of experience that, that I would have there and what it smells like and what it sounds like and what it feels like. I know what that experience is like. What if instead of going to Florida, we were going to New York? How would that change things? What would you expect to be different about the atmosphere there in New York rather than uh, in Daytona or in Orlando, Florida? How might the people be different? How might the culture be different? How might the expectations be different? How might the pace of life be different? What if we were to go to downtown Portland? What are your expectations? Who would you expect to see? What would you expect it to be like there? Okay, now I want you to think of some place that you have been that felt like home. What was it like? Who are the people that are there? If you were to try to explain to somebody what it's like in that place that to you feels like home, how would you explain it to them? Now, the reason that I do this mental exercise that we practice using our imaginations to go to someplace else and then try to articulate what would it be like, what's the atmosphere like, what's the culture like, what are the people like in this place is because we are about to do that in Scripture. If you were with us last spring, we were working on the book of Matthew, and we did the first four chapters of the book of Matthew. And in the first four chapters of the book of Matthew, Matthew is making a case that Jesus is the anticipated king. He says there there is a king that is coming, and Jesus is that anticipated king. The one that the whole Old Testament, the whole Jewish scriptures points toward, that's Jesus. And he lays out the case for that. I mean, he doesn't do it that straightforwardly. It doesn't start the beginning of the book of Matthew, the case for Jesus being the Christ, the anointed one, the king. But it comes pretty close. Right? Do you remember how the book of Matthew began? I'm going to just, I wasn't planning to do this, but I'm going to pull it up anyway. 
The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What are the expectations here? All of those promises that we know that were given to Abraham, all of those promises that we know that were given to David, that anticipation that the offspring of Abraham and David would come to fulfill all of the promises that God has given to his people, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And so he goes through and says, this is the genealogy so that we demonstrate that Jesus is the offspring of Abraham and David. He's the promised one. Then we have these, the visit from the Magi, right? The birth of Jesus and these, these royal figures from afar come in to worship him and bring him gifts because they recognize that this is the king who has been anticipated and who has now been born. And over and over again, we have the fulfillment of scripture and Matthew tying back to these Old Testament scriptures, prophecies, promises, and saying, Jesus is the one, Jesus is the one, Jesus is the one, he's the king, he's the king, he's the king, He's the king. He's here with this building anticipation of not just that Jesus is that anticipated one that we have been expecting, but also now, what does that mean? And so we have the birth of Jesus, and then we have John the Baptist in chapter 3 beginning to prepare the way. He is the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way, prepare the way. And what was his message? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to change your life, repent of your sin, and turn to God because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In fact, the king is already here. And as John's ministry is coming to an end, he baptizes Jesus in anticipation of the ministry that Jesus will have. Jesus is baptized, anointed with the Holy Spirit for the ministry of being the king, and then goes out into the wilderness and is tested and is found to be a good one. And then begins to go and call his disciples to himself. And he goes and he calls people to him. And as the, he's going out, this is how the end of chapter 4 ends. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed, oppressed by demons, those having seizures, those who were paralytics, and he healed them all. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. From all over, people were beginning to come to Jesus. That was the first four chapters of the book of Matthew. In about as short a time as I could give it to you. So what happens next? We've finished the first four chapters, and now we have established that Jesus is that king that we have anticipated, that one who would come. And so what's the next thing that Jesus does? Chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them. Jesus is about to explain something to them. 
He's about to preach the greatest sermon ever preached. This sermon is such a great sermon that uh, New Life Church is going to have to turn it into many sermons. Because I can't preach Jesus' sermon in just one sermon. Only the Son of God can do that. But he goes up on this mountain and he sits down and he begins to explain to his disciples. And here's what he begins to explain. He begins to explain what the kingdom of heaven is. Right? So John had led the way by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus took up that call and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Matthew wants to be clear. The reason that the kingdom of heaven is at hand is because the king is here now. And now, for the next several chapters, we're going to have the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7, and Jesus is going to be explaining what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Who is there? What's the atmosphere like? What's the culture like? What is this place that he knows as home like? He's going to describe it to us so that we might get a taste of it, so that we might see it in part and begin to understand what it is. Because you know what? There's a lots and lots of confusion about what the kingdom of heaven is. I don't say there was lots and lots, which is true. The Pharisees didn't get it. The people didn't get it. Jesus had to explain it to them because they did not understand what the kingdom of heaven is. And do you know what? We have to read it again today because we still don't get it. We still don't get it. People today think that they know. They they are very clever and very wise, and they have come up with all kinds of ideas of what they think the kingdom of heaven should be And it's wrong. And so now Jesus is going to call all of his disciples up. And I love this posture. He sees the crowd, so he goes up on a mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. This is better, isn't it? There's something about this that just feels comfortable. I wish I had a stool because I don't have a mountain. (laughs) But there's a posture of familiarity here, a posture of comfort, a posture where we're talking with one another. We're all sitting down together and participating together, but Jesus is explaining something that goes beyond anything that they have thought about up to this point. And so seeing the crowds, he goes up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. And this is what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we're going to be hearing this word blessed quite a bit. It comes up over and over again in the first several verses of Matthew chapter 5, in the the first part of the way that Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount. He just says, blessed are this kind of person, blessed are that kind of person, blessed are this kind of person, and that kind of person. 
this is the person who's blessed. What does that mean, they're blessed? Sometimes you'll hear somebody say that, that they're blessed, or they'll post it on, on uh, social media, hashtag blessed, which usually means in some sort of self-congratulatory way, I did something wonderful. <laughs> hashtag blessed. Living the good life. Life is like I'd like. Something good just happened. Life is good. I, I think that might be how I would describe it. Life is good. Maybe more technically, it would be that you have found divine uh, favor and therefore have received divine rewards. You have been given gifts from God because you have found divine favor. But if we're talking about just in, in simple terms, life is good. Life is good. I was talking with uh, Pastor Scott and Pastor John uh, this week, and we were talking about this, and, and one of the, uh, Pastor John said, you know, the, the best way I have heard it described is uh, congratulations. What does it mean to be blessed? If you say congratulations, that, that pretty much sums it up. You had a baby, congratulations, you're blessed. You got married. Congratulations. You got a new job. Congratulations. You're poor in spirit. Congratulations. You see what I did there? I set you up. Actually, it wasn't me. It was Jesus that I just took credit for, so forgive me of that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I get hung up on this word poor. I don't mean to. I know that it says poor in spirit, and the word poor is qualified by in spirit. And yet, I just read poor and stop. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who lack something. Those who lack something. Blessed are those who lack spiritually. They're spiritually needy. Now, if you were to be hanging out at this time in uh, Israel and you were seeing Jesus and you were thinking about, now, who are the people that I think are blessed? I would look at like those religious people that are like the super religious people. Right, the, the Pharisees maybe, or other people that, that they did all of the religious stuff and they did it really well and they would be what I would call spiritually strong. Their righteousness, right on. Right on. They were doing all the right things. That's how you knew they were righteous. They wore the right clothes, they went to the right places at the right times, they talked with the right people, they didn't talk with the wrong people, they didn't go to the wrong places, they ate the right foods in the right ways, they celebrated the proper holidays at the right times. And you would look at these people and you would say, these are the spiritually righteous, these are the ones. 
How do I know? Look at all those things that they do. But apart from self-righteousness, the, the work of becoming righteousness, becoming righteous by the work that I do, Jesus is saying, no, no, the people who are blessed are those who are spiritually needy. Those who are spiritually weak. Not the spiritually strong, but rather the spiritually pathetic. Really? Convince me. Why in the world would the spiritually pathetic be the ones who are blessed? That doesn't make any sense. Why would they be the ones who are blessed? Can you imagine that? On my Twitter feed, spiritually pathetic, hashtag blessed. (laughs) Trending topic now. Why? Why are they spiritually blessed? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's be careful here not to do an if-then contrast, right? If you're poor in spirit, then you get the kingdom of heaven. You're blessed by nature of your being poor in spirit. I I, I think that rather this is you are blessed when you're poor in spirit because of the kingdom of heaven. That is, those who are poor in spirit and entering into the kingdom of heaven are blessed. As opposed to those who are self-righteous. You can be poor in spirit and be blessed because of the kingdom of heaven. Because the king of heaven has come and said, I would like you to be my disciple. And you say, wait, time out. I am spiritually pathetic. Great. The kingdom of heaven is full of people like you. I would love to have you come and be a part of my kingdom. In fact, I have come so that the spiritually pathetic might come into the kingdom rather than the spiritually strong. Those who are self-righteous. Those who feel like they have no need. I didn't come for them. I came for those who recognize that they are poor. They recognize they have a need. They recognize they are sinners who are not righteous. They recognize they are unholy and undeserving of a holy God. I have come for them. I have come for them. If you are feeling that way this morning, if you are feeling like, I just don't know if I belong here. I just don't know if I belong in the kingdom of heaven. I just don't know that I deserve to have God accept me and bring me into his presence. I don't think I deserve that. Then this is the place for you. This is the place for you. Do you recognize 
that these are the first words of the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He could have sat down, well, he already was sitting down. He could have sat down again and just be done. Right there. Whole sermon, all done. Good news of the gospel, the proclamation of Jesus, this is it, all summed up in one sentence. Those who are poor in spirit are blessed because they receive the kingdom of heaven. Those are the kinds of people who receive it. If you acknowledge your spiritual need, then King Jesus has made a way for you to enter into his kingdom. That is the good news. That's the good news. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so you may feel like you are undeserving and unworthy of God's attention, of His favor, of His blessing. And the good news for you is that you're right. You don't deserve it. No one has earned it. Even those who feel like they have done all of the right things, or at least most of the right things, or enough of the right things, that they should earn the favor of God, they are incorrect. You cannot earn it. You must instead recognize your need and humbly repent, as Jesus and John the Baptist have both been preaching, repent of your sin and say, God, would you forgive me? And he will say, yes, I have given you my son so that you may enter into my kingdom. That's how we get in. And what happens here in this very opening line of Jesus for this greatest sermon ever preached is he takes everything that we think about, that we innately believe to be true, and he flips it over on its head. And he's going to do it over and over and over again throughout his sermon. And he's going to go, you know the way you think the world works? That's not how it works. You know how you think everything is performance-based and you should earn stuff? Yeah, that's not how it works. Those who are poor are the ones who are blessed. Wait, I thought it was the people who had stuff that were blessed. Isn't that how we knew that they were blessed? Because they had stuff? No. They think they're blessed. It's a great tragedy to think that you are blessed by pathetic things that you have. So many of the things that people put down, hashtag blessed, this is how I know, this is the evidence to me that I am blessed because I have great kids, the most amazing marriage, the best job in the world, the ability to travel internationally, so much money. So many great friends. Not real blessing. Great things to enjoy. Nothing inherently wrong with them. But if we think that it is because of those things that we are blessed, if we think that that is evidence of divine favor, we are sadly mistaken. 
You know who's blessed? The ones who don't have any of those things, who aren't distracted by those things and recognize their great need because they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Those are the ones who are blessed. Praise God if you don't have any distractions leading you to think that you are blessed in any other way than to have the grace of God in your life. You are blessed. Congratulations to the spiritually pathetic because you have received the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Okay, Jesus, time out now. Blessed are the poor in spirit and then you're going to follow that up with blessed are those who mourn. Isn't mourning like the opposite of blessing? Have you ever mourned something? Maybe somebody that you loved dearly died and you mourned. Maybe you lost something. Maybe you lost an opportunity or maybe you, you, you lost uh, the ability to do something and you mourned that loss. Maybe you had something that was really important to you and it broke. Maybe you had a relationship that you really appreciated and it, it was one of those deeply fulfilling relationships and then it broke and you lost that relationship. And you mourned. You mourned because you had this thing that you really liked, that you really appreciated, and now you don't. It's gone. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What are they mourning? loss. I don't know what they lost, but they lost something. And they're mourning it. And in that place of mourning where we had this thing that we really loved and appreciated and valued and now we don't have it anymore, and we begin to mourn that, did you think to yourself, wow, I am blessed What a great privilege it is to be able to cry. What a great privilege it is to be able to weep. How wonderful it is to mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I have had people try to comfort me when I was mourning, and I have tried to comfort other people when they were mourning. I'm not very good at it. And the reason that I'm not very good, about, good at it is because I try to make them feel better and they don't. What am I going to do? Fix it? Bring it back? Make the loss stop? How am I going to bring them any comfort? 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who have received the kingdom of heaven, they've received everything. Everything. You inherited the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that what it said? Blessed are the poor in blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you get the kingdom of heaven, you get the whole thing. Not like you're going to rule heaven, you didn't inherit it that way, but you get to participate in it, you get to be there. And God created everything. Everything in the beginning and said, "Oh, this is good. This is good." And he built mankind and put them in his creation and said, you're going to take care of this and you are going to appreciate this and I am going to be with you and this is going to be great. And sin broke it. Sin broke it. The things that keep us from having proper relationship with God kept getting in the way and broke the whole thing. So that we began to look at these other things and go, oh, this is where I find my fulfillment. This is where I find my joy. This is where I get, uh, find my value. And God says, no, no. These are things that you appreciate. But I give you your joy. But I give you your value. But I will comfort you. I, I think that when he's... Uh, talking here, he's referring back to Isaiah 61, and we started with Isaiah 61 at the beginning of the service. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. You realize that Jesus came to fulfill this And so here comes the king, and he's proclaiming, this is what it means to be a part of the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, because they are going to be comforted. I know that you are sad about the loss that you had, but you have uh, have gained Jesus. You have gained access to the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean that all of the sadness goes away. But it means that he who loves you so much that he gave his son to die on the cross for your sins knows and loves you and has brought you into his presence so that you might enter his kingdom and you will find comfort. And how great 
to be someone who has experienced loss, who has experienced the mourning, and then who finds comfort. Fantastic. That the Spirit of God now resides within you and comforts you in your mourning. And someday, we will enter into that eternal kingdom and all death and all crying and all pain and all sin will be done away with. Everything finally completed. And we will enter into the presence of our God and we will enjoy Him forevermore. And already beginning now, for those who have accepted Jesus, you have received the Holy Spirit and you are beginning to reap those benefits even now. You are beginning to see those things even now. You are beginning to shift your focus to Him even now. And find more and more comfort and more and more joy in His presence. So blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is going to be the last one for this morning. We don't have time to go through even all the Beatitudes this morning. And I know that as I was moving through, you're going, how many of them are we going to do today? (laughs) This is the last one. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What do you think of when you think of meek? Think of somebody lacking strength, lacking power, lacking ability. Someone who's meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Isn't it interesting that these first three, uh, what we call the Beatitudes, these blessing, the, the blessed people, all have to do with not having? Turned it upside down again. Because I, I think of being blessed as having and not being blessed as not having. And Jesus says, no, when you don't have, you're blessed. But isn't it the strong? Aren't they the ones that come out ahead? Aren't they the ones? Those who are self-confident and and able, they're the ones who get stuff done. They're the ones who win. You never look at the champion and go, wow, they are so meek. The meek don't win. They're losers. Why would I want to be a meek loser? He says, no, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those with gentleness, those who submit, those who um, follow. Why? For they shall inherit the earth. What? 
they're going to inherit the earth? How, how would that be possible? I, I think of so many different movies where there's an heir apparent and they're the ones that they're just like, yeah, I'm going to be the heir and I'm going to have this and I'm going to do that and they're just going for it and then uh, whoever the old figure is goes, oh, no, it's going to be this other person instead. What? What? That person? That servant person? They're going to inherit everything? Why them? Because I said so. And I'm the one who decides. And they have a humility about them, and they follow and understand my heart. And they are going to receive it. I, I think God likes to show off. I think God likes to show off and say, you know what? I'm going to do it my way. You think you're going to win? I'm going to give it to them. You came in first, I'm going to give it to the person who came in last. I'm going to give it to the, the weak. I'm going to help the weak to win. I'm going to give it to the meek. God has been in the business of doing this for a long, long time. I think back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7 in, in verse 6. Uh, I'm just going to read it. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to, that's where I'm at. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6. And God is telling the nation of Israel that they are his people, and he's telling them why they are his people. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to the face of those who hate him by destroying them. And he will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. He says, look, I chose you. Don't think that it was because you were so wonderful that I chose you. I looked it around and I said, which are the most pathetic people on the face of the planet? There they are. Those are my people. Those who were enslaved in Egypt, who were few in number, who were oppressed. And God said, those are my people. And he took them out of Egypt by displaying his power. For the sake of his glory. So that they could become his people in his place. He did it. 
And he did it that way so that there would be no mistake that it was just because of his great love and favor and had nothing to do with them. It doesn't have to do with anything with you. He picks the meek over the strong so that he can display his own power. So that when the meek win, everybody looks around and goes, now how did that happen? This isn't like some boxing movie or something where the puny little guy suddenly becomes very strong and agile and so he defeats the great big enemy because, wow, what great technique and tenacity he had. No. This is God taking the one who is small and pathetic and causing them to conquer so that, he might, so that they might say, it was God, couldn't have been me. When you think back, right, so now let's move a little further in the history of Israel and we think back to great King David. Was David meek or was David mighty? Well, I mean, he defeated Goliath. So he must have been mighty, right? David was the smallest of his brothers, In fact, as Samuel was waiting to see which one was going to be the king, and they kept coming in, he'd go, oh, wow, that one. Look at how big and strong he is. And God, not that one. No, definitely not the big, strong one. Well, how about this one? He's pretty big. Nope, not that one either. How about this one? Nope. This? Nope. This one? Nope. Are there any more? Well, there's the little guy. And in comes the scrawny kid from out taking care of the sheep. And God goes, yep, he's the one. Definitely that one. But he's the scrawniest, most pathetic one. Yep, he's the one. And so then they're battling the Philistines and out comes this huge giant to battle with them. And who comes out to face that big giant? No one. All those big, strong guys, they're going, "Uh uh-uh, no, no. Something even bigger and stronger over there. And this puny little guy comes out and goes, I'll do it. Uh, The armor doesn't even fit you, man. That's okay, I don't need any. Was it because he was so brave? Was it because he was so tenacious? Had such great technique? He had a really great sling. Slinginator 5000. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand." And that's what he did. And in fact, this is the way that God operates over and over again. It is not because you are great. 
It is not because you are strong. It is not because you are powerful that you are blessed. But in your meekness, in your humility, in your understanding of your lack of authority and strength and power, it is in that place that then God is able to demonstrate His strength and His power and His glory. And it is in that place that we find, I am so blessed. Can you imagine trying to find out if you were blessed by being strong enough? I just, I worked so hard, I trained so hard, I did all of this stuff so that I could demonstrate how blessed I am. No. You know how we know we're blessed? We inherit the earth in meekness and humility because of the great power of our God. And so over and over again, it is not those who have, but those who don't have who are blessed. And what do they get? The kingdom of heaven and comfort, and the earth. Those who don't have get everything. Everything. You get everything in Jesus. And this is the way that Jesus begins His sermon. To say, come to me and follow me and to enter into my kingdom and receive everything while bringing and offering nothing. Let's praise Him for being that kind of a God. Lord Jesus, we have nothing. Nothing in our hands that we can bring to you. But we simply cling to your cross. And we say, would you forgive us of our sins? Would you see us in our weakness? Would you comfort us in our affliction and in our loss? And would you show us the great blessing that it is to be in your presence and to witness your great power and majesty. And Lord, we recognize that we do not deserve the blessings that we receive from you. And yet we come with boldness anyway, knowing that it is exactly us that you have died on the cross to forgive and to give these blessings to And so, Lord, we recognize that we also are too slow to come in prayer. And so we ask that you would help us to understand more and more our deficiencies so that we might be quicker and quicker to come to you And find our blessing in you rather than in our own strength. And we ask for this in your name. Amen.